Hey, how's everyone doing? Welcome to another episode of The Happy Singer. Um, So we are going to have a chat. Well, uh, truthfully, the conversation I had was in December of 2018. So some of the things are a little dated, like she talks about her vocal workshop that um, already happened, but she does them frequently, so I decided to keep it in. So Lise Popeil, if you don't know who she is, she's an LA-based voice teacher, so she's got an MFA in voice, she's one of like the top voice experts, and um, yeah, she offers voice lessons for singing, speech, she does workshops, she does Skype lessons. Um, all kinds of different stuff. Her total singer program, you can buy that online. Um, and then of course, then she does it at her, um, her workshops that she'll do, but she teaches everything from pop to classical country, musical theater, legit belting, R&B, rock, you name it, she's teaching it. And some of the concepts that she talks about, which is, you know, what most voice teachers talk about, but these are just some of the things listed on her website. Posture, support, breathing, resonance, vibrato, easy high notes, larynx positions, range, power, vocal fold closure, register blending, belting, all of that good stuff. Super important, wouldn't you say? Um, So, yeah, if you want to check out her website, she's just popeel.com. That's P-O-P-E-I-L. Um... I met Lisa when I was working at the CCM Institute at Shenandoah University. Every year they have special guests come in, and Lisa was one of them. And because I had done the Institute already the summer before, when they did the next one, uh, I was like, I would love to do it again. Um, How can I help out? So I got to show her around the campus and make sure she felt comfortable. I helped her sell a lot of her VoiceWorks products, DVDs, and like a little thumb drive with all of her content on there, which was really cool. So yeah, I got to spend some quality time with her, and she was just a really, really great lady, as well as obviously very knowledgeable. And I thought her positivity and, of course, her knowledge is the perfect content for our podcast. So I hope you like it. We get into all kinds of good uh, co- uh, good topics. Um, we talk from everything about the industry, how to get better as a singer, as well as a little bit of technical stuff towards the end of the, of the chat that we have. So that's nice. That's the first time on the podcast so far that we're talking about specific vocal techniques and things like that. I have tried to stray away from that because that's what we do in the voice lessons. Um, and what I'm trying to provide in the podcast is that supplemental information and help that's not in the lessons. We don't have time in the voice lessons to, you know, we shouldn't spend too much time on the emotional side because technically what the voice teacher is supposed to do is correct the quote-unquote faults that are in the voice. Um, we watch the body. Is there um, a breathing mechanism issue? Are they not strong enough? Are they too weak? What should we do for that voice? What's that genre that they're singing? It's technicalities that we're correcting. But what we forget is that it's a human being. You know, We're working with a soul and this is what I'm trying to do with the podcast is feed the soul, you know, feed that little girl or little boy inside that is just dying to be reemerged. So 
if this is the first time that you're visiting the podcast, thank you. I really appreciate you clicking wherever you're at. If you're at podbean.com or if you're on iTunes, eventually I'm sure I'm going to find a way to put us on Google Play. But if this is the first time you're listening, I really appreciate it and I hope it helps. And if there is content that you would like us to talk about or to have somebody on the podcast, go ahead and email me. Um, or you can find me on Facebook. Um, it's The Happy Singer or Christy Bissell. My name is K-R-I-S-T-Y-B-I-S-S-E-L-L. Basically anywhere online you can find me. My Instagram is just Christy Bissell. And I actually have um, a little spot right on my Instagram. It's called Student Love. <laughs> and it's just a bunch of little highlights of some of the stuff that my students have been doing, which I'm really excited for them. And I want more people to recognize some of these singers. Uh, my one student, Jenny Kern, she has an EP that was just released today. And my one student, Kaylin, she's got a single coming out uh, this coming month. I have singers that are auditioning for Broadway shows. Uh, some of them have cabarets, like anything of them singing, I want to share it. And so you'll you'll find a lot of really cool singers on my page, as well as my obsession with vinyl. Me and my boyfriend, we collect vinyl, and we both have a beautiful obsession with music. Um, so you can check that out, too. Um, so yeah, you know, all the stuff you can't really talk about uh, in the lesson. I mean, you can talk. Any teacher that's listening right now, don't misinterpret. Of course, you should talk about the emotional stuff and make sure that you're harvesting joy and happiness and all of that, all the W's, the Y's. Why are you doing this? Of course. But at the end of the day, as a voice teacher, our job is to correct their voice, correct with quotations, make them the best singer possible. And sometimes we have to treat them like instruments. Um, but yeah, this podcast is all fun. <laughs> all kinds of good stuff. And of course, don't forget to check out New York Vocal Coaching. That's where I teach, actually, is in Manhattan on West 38th Street with a bunch of other amazing voice teachers. So I do that full time. And hey, if you're ever interested in a voice lesson with any of the teachers there, hit me up. I love them all, and they all have specialties in certain things. So if you have questions about any of the staff, please email me. But without any further ado, I just want you guys to have an awesome time enjoying this chat with Lisa. She just has all these beautiful things she says. Um, let me know what you think. All right. Enjoy. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for doing this. Hi, Christy. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. Of course. Um, you're kind of this really special person in the voice world. So I'm excited to just talk to you, have some questions for you, just some things that I think some singers might have some thoughts on. Um, but before I get into all the questioning for you, I just wanted to tell everybody a little bit about you. So you have an MFA in voice. You've yes. studied voice your whole entire life. You've studied it for, for how long? I mean, you've since been doing I was, since I was six years old, I had yeah. lessons. I just never yeah. quit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, so you've been teaching it for what, 40 years? On it and says, off for 40 years and then really hardcore uh, for, for almost 30 years. It's incredible. And you've conducted voice research all over the world, which I is crazy. Still do. It's one of my nerd uh, hobbies. Uh, it's probably my biggest nerd hobby. In fact, I have a big trip coming up in April. I'm flying to the Czech Republic to work with 
one of the, the world's top researchers. I've known him for at least 25 years, and he's developed um, a program which is widely used in research now called video chymography, and he has uh, high-speed. I've worked a lot with high-speed video in the past, but he's got some super high speed, uh, faster than I even thought was available. And uh, without spending too much time talking about it, my, my current interest is really taking a very deep look into the vocal folds uh, because I've been revising my ideas about vocal registers so much in the last 10 years it's incredible. Uh, that I, I just, I have to see what's going on. There's, it's, I just have to see. And um, so he's the guy that's going to take a good five days uh, with me at his uh, university lab to um, to see what we're going to see, and and I th- I don't know that anyone's this, done this particular kind of project before, so it, it could be groundbreaking. It could be it could confirm what other people think. It could be radically different. One thing about science is you have to be willing to be wrong. You go in thinking, well, I think this is what's happening, and it's still disappointing when you find out you're completely wrong. But at least I'm, uh, I'm asking the questions and, and trying to get other singers to, to not be afraid of having cameras down their mouth or nose and to constantly think of, of um, new ways of thinking about things, not just ways that they were taught that have maybe come down from hundreds of years of thought. So... I just invite people who who are into questions and answers to maybe start from scratch on some topics and not just adapt what they were told by one teacher. Did you guys just hear that? This woman who has been doing this her whole life is still open to learning more and is still trying to get better and is not afraid to be wrong sometimes. Ooh. That's in- well, I am I mean, that's afraid incredible. to be wrong, but that's part but of the you deal. Do it. But you do it. So that I mean that's that's incredible. I just, I think that that's probably one of the coolest things about you, Lisa. I mean, not only are you this sweet, sweet person in person, like you just are incredibly smart. So you're the whole package. <laughs> so I just think that's so cool. Thank you. It really is it's because I think a lot of people, once they get to a certain point, they decide that that's enough. I'm an expert. Cool. But it's, it's in stone. Here it is. Anything you want to know on um, it's right here in this brochure. It's this Two-page brochure. This is this is this is the uh, from on high, the burning bush. But um, <laughs> I just always want to leave that door open to to be better, to to sorry to to sing better, to um, uh, to be willing to you know it's a bit like a, a one of those carnival games when you when you get your face up there, whether you're a singer or a performer um, or a or a teacher. The more your face is out there, the more people can take shots at you, but it's worth it if it moves things forward and if it's what you love to do. And I think this was one of the, the topics we were going to talk about is about how how do you keep your positivity and energy up in the face of criticism, negativity, a bunch of no's. Uh, so to me, whether you're doing research or, or being a professional teacher or being a singer, it's a numbers game. I learned this. There was a, a years ago. I was had a couple of business endeavors, and this this old Jewish guy. I wish I could remember his name. He's probably long past since then. But he's he had been an entrepreneur his whole life, and he gave me advice that I've never forgotten. And he said, "Lisa, being successful is a numbers game. It's if you have ten ideas, or if you're a singer, you have ten different." 
avenues or directions you're, you're pursuing. He said, if two of those things work out, you are successful. Don't worry mm. about the other eight that weren't. Two out of 10 is, is very successful. And that taught me that I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket because if that basket d- doesn't turn out, I could have spent that amount of time on another nine different ideas. So it just made me feel better about the concept of failure. Like, What is failure? If you're spending every day doing what you love and you're getting better at it and you're learning, 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 there's going to be a place for you someplace in the entertainment Mm -hmm. business. And in the end, I think that's the goal for people. That should be the goal for people is that can I... I have, I have students who, who, you know, they're going to become entertainment attorneys or they're going to become, um, they're going to become managers or producers or composers. And they're always going to be singers. But the more they know, the more valuable they are to other people. And it's how we can serve other people that mm. I think in the end makes us feel like life is meaningful. If you feel like I'm only doing it because of my ego, because I want to be famous, it's never enough. I don't think it, it really is a recipe for a sense of, of meaningfulness and therefore happiness. So that's, you know, I've been around for on the, up this part of the, on the upside of the ground for, for a long time. And I really think our sense of happiness comes from feeling like we're, we're helping in some way, even if you have to make it up, that I'm actually helping the world as a singer, that I'm, I'm helping people get out of their mundane, boring lives so that they can be glamorous for a little bit or they can be on, become uh, transported on an emotional journey that helps them forget their, their everyday problems. So I always have thought that singing and teaching is, is a social service mm. and it helps take the, the, the pressure off of one sense of I've got to do this. I've got to make X amount of money. I've got to have X amount of social media followers. Followers, Otherwise, I'm a failure. And that just, if you think that way, it's, it's a recipe for serious disappointment. And that could become lifelong bitterness. And I never wanted that. And I, I could easily have, I, we all can all think about the things that we wanted that didn't happen, the mm-hmm. ways that we failed, or the, the, the record deal that, that fell through. I did uh, 10 articles for, for a website, and it was called How So-and-So Made It. And it was, I researched five famous female singers and five famous male singers, and I, I was looking for what they, how they started and what their path was until their, their first breakout hit. And what people went through, and when we're talking about Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and Sam Smith and mm. Bruno Mars... At, Oh my God, what they went through is, is unbelievable. It's like normal people would have quit, you know, yeah. 10% into their journey. And they, of course, they were young and that really helps, but they just, they didn't quit no matter how many failed, failed production deals or, or record deals. They just found another avenue. Uh, but again, they weren't, they weren't starting when they were 50 years old so that they had time on their side. But yeah. I ramble. But I digress. <laughs> no, I mean, no, th- this information is crucial. Now, you yourself, you've dabbled in, in a little bit of fame, correct? What's your history with that? Well, when I got out of college, I locked into a, an audition with Frank Zappa. 
And I, I was really there because my boyfriend was a Frank Zappa fan. He was a drummer and he was auditioning for the 1981 tour, which would have been a, a 60 city tour. And I just went to help give him some moral support. Well, one thing I can do, there's some things that I, I don't have gifts in like memorizing lyrics or piano pieces, but one thing I can do, and maybe it's because I started piano training at the age of four, is I can read. I can read anything. I, I shock myself. I can have a conversation while I'm sight reading music. So when I, when I was auditioning, I was just reading. So, so Frank Zappa thought, oh, she's really good. Because what he didn't realize is that I knew none of his music. I wasn't a, a fan. Um, <laughs> but it was so weird to be, here's this, this, young, this young girl who's singing high Ds and sight-reading complicated piano on his nine-foot Bosendorfer. So I was, again, not to make the story too long, so I was temporarily in the band. Um, I did not go on tour, and uh, which was a somewhat of a relief because to play and memorize four hours of quite unplayable music is, is, had me in tears almost every day. But I, I did perform uh, several several sh- shows with him, and uh, and was that was released on recordings. And I also had I was I was a songwriter since I was eleven, so I loved recording studios. I started recording in studios when I was fifteen, and I just I loved I still do love learning everything I can about about how to record, produce, uh, arrange. I'm a pretty good keyboard bass player. I can do drums. I can do string arrangements. I can't, I'm not very good at guitar. So I always bring in another guitarist. But anyway, I had a record deal. I, I had, you know, the the whole LA, uh, wannabe lifestyle with a stylist Mm -hmm. and the the, the purple hair. This was in the eighties and custom made (laughs) clothes and record deal and celebrity parties and Photos with famous people who you, you look like you were best friends, but you never, you know, they don't know who you are. Oh my gosh. And so I had this, this, um, this adventure during the eighties, but I didn't, I didn't want to keep beating my head against the wall. So, uh, at a certain point I said, okay, that, that's it. I've, I've written all the songs I'm going to write. Um, and I got into video production, which turned out to be really useful because we I do a lot of videos, and that that turned out to be really helpful to learn all about uh, the mechanics uh, and directing, um, mm. and the, you know, the behind the, the equipment part of video production. Um, so then I also was with um, I met again kind of a luck thing. I met a Weird Al Yankovic in the early '80s. He had seen me in a magazine and. He was just starting his career, and rumor has it that he he wanted to meet me. So he wrote this song <laughs> called Mr. Popeil, and I got invited to sing on his album called In 3D, singing the song back up to the song, silly song called Mr. Popeil. And that led so cool. to the last, 30, the last 35 years of, of singing on his records. Not every record, but, but a lot of his records. And so now I'm going on this shocking, shocking change. You just go where the river takes you. And, um, this summer he asked if I would join him as a backup singer on his big next summer tour, 2019. It's going to be a 64 city tour. It's going to be over three months. There'll be two other backup singers. I'm 
thinking there might be costumes, maybe choreography. It'll be the first time I've ever toured, was not thinking that that was going to happen at my age. Hmm. We'll be on a bus. It's, uh, we do get hotel rooms, thank goodness, but oh, it's nice. primarily a bus, a bus tour around the, the whole United States and Canada. So I'll be only offering Skype lessons during the summer on my days off. Otherwise, I'll be a, I'll be a touring rock singer. <laughs> like, who thought it's that would amazing. ever be in my I mean, life? It makes sense to me. I think it's awesome. And it's only um, going to help your students, you know? I mean, I, the more information you know, I, the better. Because I'm, I'm such an inveterate student and teacher. I, like, I can't help myself. I can't help but want to <laughs> learn. And I can't help myself from wanting to share it with people who think that whatever the information is, is interesting. So if I have enough energy, and I can't promise I will have sleeping on the bus, but if I do, <laughs> I'm thinking of writing a book called Stories from the Road, about the actual everyday elements for other people who think, I would really like to be a a touring backup singer. And in the process, I'm meeting other professional backup singers who do this for a living, and they're articulate, they're nice, and and, uh, really skilled. And so I would interview professional backup singers to include in the book, too. So that, that would make me feel like I'm I'm not just a singer. I don't know if I can handle that. I just have to do find some way to, to make the summer uh, educational and um, hopefully some other people will think, wow, there's nothing like that out there that's that detailed about every little yeah. element, the pros, the cons, the money, the interpersonal relationships, the what you pack, what you don't pack. You know, I've gone from being a, a micromanager of my life, of every moment of my life, to being in a situation where I just sit back, relax, all food is catered, all <laughs> hotels are chosen, I just... I, there's an app. There's actually a touring app that I just look at the Ooh. app and I see what's what, and I just show up and do the show. And wow. the rest of my time is my own, but it's I'm, I have no responsibility for anything. And you wake up and you don't know what state you're in. That'll be wild. And I love yeah. to travel, so I'm glad about that. I travel constantly, but not this way, where every day you're in a different city. <laughs> so it's oh my. It's hard to even imagine what it's going to be like, but I tried to imagine so I can prepare, so I can have the very best time possible. Uh, The book is, it sounds incredible. I have one student in particular that I will buy that book for her because (laughs) she, all she wants to do, it's so specific, is be a backup singer. And she's insane. She is so good. I was like, are you sure you want to do backup? And she's like, yeah, I just want to do backup. I was like, cool. So she would die for that book. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll know more next year. And also by interviewing people who, who've done it for for years. In fact, there's one gal that the other backup singers and I are consulting with, and she's been with James Taylor, I'm assuming also on his albums, but she's been with him for about 35 years, which is, she's, I'm sure her stories are through the roof. And she's been very helpful to us in, in helping us figure out what, what do we ask the tour manager? What do we ask the artist? If anything, what do we ask the manager what do we wait to ask when rehearsals start and what can we ask now? 
don't just that little stuff. I, that just thrills me. The little stuff, the details. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff that nobody has any idea about. They, I mean, they know they want to get into it. So that book is really a special idea. I hope you do it. Thank you. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about the total singer because I'm itching for you to talk about, about it. Cause you've got the, these DVDs. The DVD or the workshop. Let's talk about both. Well, in 1994, I was teaching at a college, and I was teaching both a pop class and a classical class, a voice class. And one of the students, this is at least how I remember it, one of the students said to me, you know, Lisa, you have a system. And I was, I was surprised. I said, I do? And she said, you, uh, you do. You should make a video. So in 1994, which feels like forever ago, I created a video with cassette and a booklet called The Total Singer. And in it, I outlined the, the basic skills that I thought every singer should know about. Again, I'd started singing lessons when about 1962, and I did classical voice training until I was, well, all the way through college. But I was really interested in all the different styles, and I had difficulty finding teachers who who were, number one, good, good teachers who could explain things to me and were good pop singers. Now, there wasn't a lot of musical theater training then, and there was hardly any pop training then. It was all mostly rock, uh, classical teachers who were just trying to adapt it for, let's say, musical theater. But, and then there were the pop teachers who were basically singers who were out there trying to make a little extra money, but they didn't really know what they were doing and they weren't necessarily even very good singers. You know, they, mm. I remember going to one guy and he would turn bright red when he sang and, and blood vessels were popping out of his neck. I Oops. thought, well, I, I don't know if he's, you know, the, the, the guy I need to stay with. <laughs> so um, I've always been interested in other styles and but there was, again, very little out there. This was pre-internet as well. And I studied with oh, so many teachers over the years. And, and each one, I got something. Even if I learned that, uh, I had one teacher who said, uh, oh, I don't sing anymore. Uh, when I asked her to demonstrate an exercise for me. And I, even though it was shocking to me that here was a singing teacher who, who did not, could not, or would not sing, I thought, well, what does that say about her, her yeah. method? If, did she used to be able to sing and now she can't sing? So even though I never went back to her, that, I'll never forget that experience. Right. So I was constantly looking and realizing that there were certain skills that every singer should have. That, and it, I hadn't seen it been codified before until there was a, a teacher well, I'd already developed my ideas, and but there was another teacher in, who was in L.A. at the time, Elizabeth Howard, and she thought like me. She had this sort of codification and breaking everything down. So um, even though we think we have the same kind of mind for it, uh, I, based on my experience with classical versus pop versus belting, about which I knew very little in the early 90s, I knew how to do it. I just didn't, hadn't started the research yet. So anyway, I've, I, those videos became DVDs and these cassettes became CDs. And I still sell quite a few of the Total Singer DVD program. And I haven't changed much except the booklet. Uh, the booklet, and I, really, I need to go back in and really change the booklet again because I have revised, like I said earlier, my ideas on registers so much that I just 
I can't revise quick enough to right. um, to accommodate my my new thinking about it. Uh, and the last booklet was from 2013, so I'm sure I've, I've revised my thinking uh, since then. And now, well, starting in 2001, I created uh, the Total Singer Workshop. And it's primarily for voice teachers, but it's open for any singer who wants a grand overview of singing, the practical aspects. And I go through the different skills that I think, you know, what I call the concepts. Uh, there's posture, breathing, support, registers, finding out your absolute range, clarifying what resonance means, and because it, that was used really in a loose way my whole life and didn't resonance and vibration get kind of uh, mixed up in a lot of people's minds. And so, yeah. um, so I separate them and, uh, and I separate resonance into ring brightness and nasality, which, which frequencies and characteristics each of those have and how we can control them. So I can, you can add more or less according to emotion or to the style that you're doing. Yeah. What else? I've learned a lot more about, about the me- mechanics of safe and beautiful belting, which allow people to take a speech-like or yell-like sound to the very top of their range, not just um, to, to a, a particular note, but to much higher than they might have thought possible. Uh, let's see, vibrato, all the different kinds of vibratos and the different sp- how to control speeds, Not everyone can, but some people can learn to change their vibrato type or speed depending Mm. on the style they're doing. So when I'm singing opera, I'll use a a, a vibrato type. And if I'm singing jazz, I use a different one. If I'm singing French chanson or Irish songs, I'll use a different one that's faster. Uh, So... I'm, I'm really interested in the, the, the biomechanics of vibrato, and I do think of it as a mechanism which is controllable, so it's not just sort of accidental like I was told. I was told, you know, if everything hooks up, it'll just appear. Yeah, I hate that. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I'm waiting. Yeah. What, what does hook up mean, number one? And when, is, when will I know? And so with the vibrato problems that I had, I, had, I wanted to fix them. I come from a family of inventors and marketers of, of inventions that are mostly for the kitchen. And there, there are museum exhibits about my father and my brother. There was just one two weeks ago in Chicago, a museum exhibit. And so I have some of that. The, that's the way my mind works. It's okay. There's a need. Here are the, the needs we're going to fill. How do I make this thing that's simple, clear, concise, useful right away? that anybody can understand. So they don't have to discover how to sing or they don't have to experiment and accidentally figure it out. But I come from the idea that if I tell people exactly what to do, they can have an immediate change and improvement in their voice without having to do years of vocal exercises. I think um, I have this bias against excessive vocal exercises as a means to improve one's voice. Mm. I used to have to do, well, in a, in a one-hour lesson growing up, at least 50 minutes of that, I would just say 50 minutes, were very extensive and slow vocal exercises, just f- slowly from high to low. And then 10 minutes, we'd work on a song. And mm. people today, they don't, number one, I don't think it's efficient for anybody. And two, 
if you're a private teacher now, it's very competitive out there yeah. and you, you want to, people want to get into the song and I have no problem with that. I'll often fix technical issues while we're singing, or I have a recording studio and I, if I'm, if they're recording, I'll, I'll act as the producer slash voice coach. So I'm fixing the technical issues as they come up. And so they can quickly get a, a nice uh, recording in a, in a fairly short amount of time. It's really cool. It's just a faster way to get people where they want to be, which is, it's not technical mastery isn't the goal. It's how do I create this magic? Uh, and that's something I wanted to, as I was thinking about what makes singing happy? Uh, how can we be more, how can we enjoy the process and the rewards even more? And one of the ways, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the ways is to in physically and emotionally enjoy the process of singing. That when you're singing, that you're in the zone. And to me, vocal mastery just means that you can be in that zone with impunity. You can be in that zone and know you're good. Mm. You can listen to yourself and say, mm, that's good. Instead of, oh, there was a problem. There was a problem. Yeah. So I just like to get rid of the problem so we can get to that feeling of, wow, I, I can't believe I can do this. Yeah. I can sing notes I never thought I even had, or I'm so consistent. One of the problems a lot of sing naturally gifted singers have is that they're inconsistent. They'll have good days and bad days. Uh -huh. Well, that wasn't me. I'm, I didn't have a lot of talent to begin with. I had brains and I had passion and I didn't give up. So it took many years, but I, I can, I can seem talented, but it's purely developed talent. And it's based on consistent skill so that my voice is like, you get in a car, you know, you don't have to think about it. You put the key in, you, you know, you can drive and it just seems to drive itself. So that's how I like to get the car to, to function. And I think a lot of people teach or do vocal exercises with that in mind, but I think it's, it's a whole different avenue of endeavor. I think it's better to, to, there's just thousands and thousands of songs and, and how to be expressive, how to move, how to be good on a live stage, how to be good for videos. Uh, there's so much to do as an, as an entertainer that, uh, doing exercises to me is that time taken away from the maybe being really great. But again, that's just my, my bias, but at least it's, it's not something I just came up with yesterday. It's something mm -hmm. I've, I've thought about for a, a long time and see how it, particularly in LA, how many singers feel that exercises are everything. And then when they sing, they don't sing well. It's like, okay, they're not making that jump. From the they, they can they've mastered the exercises, but and oh, some of them exercise too much. So before they go on stage, they've actually they're actually vocally tired because they've done too much off stage getting ready. Ooh. So my attitude is save it for the stage. And I know a lot of professional pop singers, they do very little warm up. They might sing a song through a little bit, check out how their voice is. But I think people would be surprised how little warming up professional pop singers do uh, who do it all the time because okay. it just works. You just get in the car, car gets, turns on, you're good. 
it's just weird. It's just it's, uh, something I've, I've noticed when I've asked. And they, they tell me with a guilty look on their face. I mean, these are really good singers. And they just they give me like, well, I don't really warm up. Or I just do some humming or I do some sirens or a couple of lip trills. I have my own exercise that I that, that are diagnose where I'm at vocally and tell me, do I need to work on this or that? Um, and then I just focus the exercise rather than spend half hour, 40 minutes going through a CD. Um, wow. You can see I'm passionate on this topic and I, I, it's not that important. Except, well, it's, I'm, it's just because I think it's a bit of a myth and, and a scam actually, because yeah. there are a lot of teachers in LA who actually, there are some who don't sing. And they charge a lot of money, you know, $400 an hour, and they don't sing. They can't sing. They've never sung, but they know 10 exercises. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> and so you, too, can do the same exercises. Um, yeah. I mean, but, it's so important to know the application of what you're doing. I think a lot of the times a student will come in, and I'm saying, okay, we're going to do one three five eight five three one, but we're going to do it in a chest mix. Like, But if we don't tell them why they're doing it, for, you know, whatever rep they're working on, you know, that could be incredibly detrimental. You have to understand the application of it. And I think also the ability to demonstrate because Mm. imitation is the way that humans have sung or spoken since the beginning of humans. Uh, And, and so this idea that, that we shouldn't imitate is, is I think also inefficient. I don't think we should have to reinvent the wheel when we're developing our, our voices. I think there's so much to be learned by imitation as long as you can hide it. You know, you don't want to sing and people say, oh, well, that was, she sounds like Christina Aguilera or, oh, that, that, you know, she sounds like Celine Dion. You have to hide it. You have to hide your influences. (laughs) But I think so many people are helped by studying, especially with the concepts that I teach. You can actually hear singers and, and, and he, once you have terminology for all aspects of what they're doing, you can hear them better. It's like, okay, I can hear that they're using this kind of vibrato or that they added nasality on that note or they raised their larynx. That's another concept, larynx uh, heights, yeah. larynx positions, but they're how high or low the larynx. And you can actually hear the larynx move up and down. There's also a spot under the jawline on either side of the chin that I call the, the, the pharynx, but it's just like a throat and you can... There's three positions for that. And you can hear, once you know that, then when people change that, the width of their pharynx, you can hear it. And so you can steal better. And plus, it's just empowering. And the more empowered singers can be, the more consistent they can be, the more they feel they can control their voice when they want to, or just forget about it and it just works automatically, all of that is what creates a confident singer. Someone who knows when they open their mouth, they're going to like what comes out and that other people are going to like it too. And so the confidence is, is the happy singer when you or the happy teacher. So like, I really know what I'm talking about. I feel strongly about what I'm talking about, whether I'm a teacher or a singer or any kind of presenter, any somebody who sells or instructs. I do a lot with the professional speaking voice. And there's so much overlap between all of that selling, voice use. The only thing that speakers don't do is they, they don't go really high and they don't use vibrato. But all the other tools for singing can be applied to working with professional voice users like teachers, 
uh, drill sergeants, uh, actors, attorneys. Oh, attorneys, they, they often come in feeling, I don't have the voice of authority. Mm. Or directors, I had a director, um, film director in recently who said, I don't know how to sound authoritative without it hurting. Oh. So we just worked on that. And so much of it, I think, starts with uh, the support, the way I teach it. It does yeah. work shockingly for everybody. I'm not saying other support methods don't work, but I found that some support methods work for certain styles. Mm -hmm. But I wanted something that worked for for a pop singer, an opera singer, a film director who needs to yell on set. And <clears throat> after, it took about 30 years to figure out a method that, that um, is easy, easy to explain, easy to do. I have a lot of free videos on my website, popeel.com. That's P-O-P-E-I-L. She does. There's no pie. No pie in Popeil. <laughs> There's 25 of them, actually. There's oh, 25. I thought there was over 30, so I better check. I thought there were a little bit more. And there there you know, might be. So people are welcome to, to, you know, see a little bit. They're very short. You know, they're, they're extremely short. But they I give a sense of... they're just the right amount. And oh, you talk goodness. about exactly what you're talking about right now, your upper belly magic spot, which mm -hmm. I love. I love that. Yeah, so still, uh, have you noticed, if you ask a student to point out their diaphragm, <laughs> do, you, do you ever ask? I do. I love asking, and it's amazing where they point to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Any number of places, and usually it's, it's in the abdomen somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. that means that their teacher probably told them that. So yep. in my Total Singer workshop, I have this book. This It's not a book book. It's a booklet. And I've got a number of, of drawings, uh, illustrations. I have an illustrator I work with so that there's no doubt about it. Also, I recommend there's this wonderful 3D animation on YouTube. If you Google 3D diaphragm on Google, this animation comes up. And without fail, when I show this to a student who didn't know where really where it was they always say oh I'm every single time no matter how old they are oh they yeah. have these big eyes like oh I get it now yep. <laughs> yeah and so many teachers put too much emphasis on it oh uh, well it, it's got to be the right the, it, so we can't control our diaphragm let me just back up there the diaphragm is a unique muscle in that it's it's not completely involuntary. It's also a voluntary muscle, yep. but you can't feel it. You can't um, touch it. Yeah, it's so underneath you, too much. <laughs> but, you, but underneath you can. So uh, below, just below the sternum, there's an area that is connected to the diaphragm, but is not the diaphragm. And I call it the, as you know, the upper belly magic spot. And some people, it feels like a button. Some people, it feels like a region. Some people, it feels like two, two spots, two, two fingertip spots about an inch apart. Some people with scoliosis, curvature of the spine, they might find their magic spot off to the side. Uh, you know, it's there. Some gals, I've got to get like embarrassingly up under the bra to find it, but it is below the bone. That's for sure. Yeah. That's not, where mine is. Yeah. It's, well, and, and mine's lower. And I tell people, I said, I'm built low, but mm -hmm. here's what mine feels like. And, and I, I believe that it needs to firm out 
not hard as a rock, but spongy firm, and to stay out for an, the whole phrase, and then you relax it for breathing, and when you relax it, it, it actually goes in. So it acts mm. like um, a, a wall, a spongy wall. And against that, I, I ask that they, they put their thumb on the belly button, their other hand, the thumb on the navel, and the fingers just below that, fingers touching, so it's not like splayed fingers, and that that area should gradually go straight in. It's like um, a movement in, a clutching in, against this upper belly going out. Mm -hmm. And then for breathing, you can just relax both bellies. They'll go back to their original position. And this support, it changes everything for people. Easy high notes, ability to hold phrases out a long time, where they're not sounding like they're dying at the end of every phrase or running out of air. It helps with straight tone control, vibrato speed control. Oh, pitch. Some people who are out of tune just need a little more support. So support is actually creating pressure in the airstream. And it's Mm. that pressure in the airstream which is the mover of the vocal folds. A lot of people think the vocal folds move themselves, but in fact, they're just flaps with muscle in them, and they are flapping because they're being hit. They're closed. We can close them, and we can pick a length of them. We do that with our minds. If we want a low note, the chords get shorter, and if we want a high note, they get longer, but they don't wiggle. They don't vibrate by themselves, so that's why support, even though it's boring and it's three (laughs) miles away from the action of your face... It makes the chords do what your brain wants them to do. And when I dis- discovered this, I just had this consistency and my happy level went up. And now mm-hmm. I can get up at three in the morning and pop out a high C sharp. I don't, I've lost, I don't have a high D anymore, but I can <laughs> sing a high note or just control my voice because I've got the the, the foundation correct. So I always start with that, no matter if they have a doctorate or been teaching at a major university for X number of years. My guess is that they don't have a, a people don't have a clear idea, a really clear idea on how to support. It's kind of vague, like, you know, singing comes from underneath. Uh, sing from your diaphragm. Engage your diaphragm. Um, yeah. it's not, it's not enough. Use, I, there's lots of words, firm, firm, but what is firm? Even firm has to, is a tricky word because firm could mean contract. Exactly. So, yeah. Use, I don't know what use means. Again, this all comes from my own experience of being taught and me feeling like I had to guess. So yeah. I just want to make this, the, take the guesswork out of it. Uh, and make it easy for people. Uh, my total singer workshop is happening very soon. It's going to be January 4th through 6th. It's likely to be the last one that I present myself, though I, I have done them at ho- when they're hosted by schools, universities, and also in Europe, uh, whether it's two, two or three days. But it's like my entire life's work distilled into a three-day period, and we do pop, rock, jazz, R&B, country, musical theater legit, different kinds of musical theater belting, because I teach that there's not just one belting sound, but there are at least five different sub-styles, and I like to review those for everybody. Uh, opera, the difference between opera, operetta, and choir singing, and we do all of it. So I've got music and we all sing and it's, it's really a lot of fun and it goes by so quickly and people just feel like 
wow, they just can't wait to get back home and try all the new stuff that, but it's, is such, um, it's a big, a big, uh, everything. I do everything for the workshop. So, um, I rather do it in tandem with other people who <laughs> take some of the workload off. I would love to do it where I just basically show up and all the, all the, all the booklets are printed and all the people are there to, to enjoy. Um, so hopefully that that's going to happen more, but I've got lots of conferences coming up. There's, Good. I'll be teaching in Shanghai this next year. Um, I'll be in uh, Ravenna, Italy for a, and it's called the Artistic Voice Conference. I hope to do some research there with Dr. Franco Fusi, who's too modest for words, but he shouldn't be because he's brilliant. He works with some great Italian voice teachers who are doing fantastic research into whistle register uh, and yay. variety of extreme sounds. The best research that I've seen is ha- actually you know, on those two things is happening in Italy. Wow. Who knew? <laughs> well, the thing about whistle, and this is, I'll tell you my opinion, and then I'll share with you what this whistle expert in Italy has to say about it. I personally believe that whistle is a, an, a, a fourth a vibrational pattern. So we can think of registers as being identifiable sounds, but we can also think of them as Vocal full vibrational patterns, in which case we have four. Uh, there's fry, modal, loft. We could call, fry, we could call modal chest voice. Uh, loft, uh, we could call um, head voice, and whistle. And I, I personally believe that whistle is not something that every, everyone can do. I think you have to have a certain vocal fold, either structure or size, I'm a mezzo. I have a very low range. I, I can, I have a solid low A, a male low A. It's an A, A2. And I have yet to meet mezzos or altos, or real altos, not the ones in the choir, but a real alto who has, should have as their low note a low F, very rare voice type. I've, I've yet to meet one who, who can do whistle. So I think whistle wow. is the purview of sopranos and some tenors. Uh, and I, I believe that, that the, the vocal cord has to be able to be small enough or thin enough. I'm not sure. There are also different kinds of laryngeal whistles. I was, tried to study with this teacher via Skype in Italy, but she, mm. she, they don't, neither of these teachers that, that I'm championing here in the U S uh, do, will, will do Skype lessons. You have to be there. Well, uh, that's not that's not going to happen. Um, but she, th- this whistle teacher in Italy, believes that anyone can learn to do whistle, and she teaches it. One of the methods that she uses is the the it, when you breathe in. But if I do it, I just cough. But all I do is cough or tickle, and I can do it. If I can get a note out, I, it's head voice. It's it's. Um, you know, it's, a, it, it's a, in my range, I'll put it, it's in my head voice range, and it's not whistle. Yeah, so that's the one way I've been taught. So I believe a lot of people who can do whistle who don't know it. So I'm of the mind mm-hmm. that if you, I like to always check, because uh, I'm always looking for absolute range, 
how high can this person go? And if I find they have Mm -hmm. whistle, which usually starts above the high F sharp for for females, Ah. though there can be overlap, there can be notes as low as high C that, or I've seen some who are even lower where they can do it in head voice or whistle. And for them, I I, I make sure that they they try to do head voice as high as they can. And when they can't, the vocal cords can no longer stretch and thin for head voice, then they can go into whistle. And some have two notes in whistle, some have an octave in whistle. And I I encourage them to to do staccato exercises uh, from below and just... Oh, start to own it, control it, make little melodies with it. But I, I'm not of the mind that anyone can, can do it. I think there, there are people who already have the capacity. They just didn't know it. <laughs> Sadly, we lost my question here about the solar plexus being if it is the same as what she refers to as the magic upper belly spot. I'm not sure because this, I've seen some people talk about the solar plexus lower Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and yeah, and there's also another one I've heard, the xiphoid process. Yeah. But that, I think, is the very, maybe it's closer to that, you know, just the area just below the, um, the sternum. I, I need to check on that again to see, because it might be that. I did meet with an anatomist, and we spent a good hour and a half looking at 3D animations that he had on his computer to see what, what is actually there. And there really isn't a lot there, besides the stomachs inside. The, we looked at the layers, the different layers of the, of the abdominal muscle. And the, the one we were really seeing was the rectus abdominis, the vertical ones. But the spot was actually not where the rectus is. It was between on the ligament called the linea alba, which is Latin for white mm-hmm. line. So after an hour and a half, I have to say we came out of it not knowing much more than what we went in with. We didn't really see what this area was. I believe it just firms out because the, the diaphragm is lower and it's pushing the, the, the stomach or whatever other organs. I don't know if it's moving the liver forward too, but it's moving <laughs> things in a forward direction just below. That's my, my guess. It's just a, a way to know that the diaphragm, which is much higher inside the rib cage is flatter, descended, working. And it allows people to hold things out, to manage their breath for much longer periods of time than if the the upper belly goes in and the the, the, um, uh, uh, diaphragm ascends. Yeah, yeah. Now, whenever you work with dancers, just curious, I keep asking, yeah, I keep asking everybody this, this question. Yeah, do you do you tell them to breathe clavicularly? No, but I I have them I think more about the waist. Okay. Breathe into the waist and the back. I focus more on the back. Okay. Expanding the back even more than I would normally cuz I like to have the back ribs expanded a little bit okay. for any kind of singing, but for dancers I have them expand the back all the way and and because I know they have to keep their lower belly tucked in yeah. so they can spin and balance. And I get that. So uh, if they breathe into their back and push their back out, it's, it's not as good, but it's almost as good. 
Okay. And oftentimes dancers, particularly in musical theater, aren't, they're not solo singing while they're dancing. Correct. Yeah. They're in a chorus. So they don't need to be a hundred percent awesome. They just need to be near awesome <laughs> while they're dancing. So I, I'm not saying that the, the clavicle doesn't go up and down. I, I teach that it should stay comfortably high at all times mm-hmm. and should not move up and down. Yeah. But it moves up and down a little bit. I just don't like it when it collapses. There should never be a big collapse. Yeah. But I, I would say I don't teach clavicular breathing, but I don't, in a, in a dancer, I won't make a big deal about it. Right. Because nobody's seeing it anyway. But in a solo singer who's standing there, you can see if the chest is heaving up and down. And I, and I find that very distracting. Right, right. I agree. Visually distracting. But we have to, for dancers, make special accommodations. Yeah. And one <laughs> little girl, the poor little thing, she was like a real ballerina and she was just shaking, trying to breathe. You know, so we were like trying to dance around the room, trying to relax her, but she was just like, so determined to try and do the right breath to try and do the right thing. I felt so bad. <laughs> oh, that's, I love people who are earnest, yes. you know, who just want to do it as, as some, whatever it is as best they can. I, I just always appreciate that so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're so inspiring. It keeps me, it keeps me wanting to do this job. Everybody that comes in, they're just, you know, their goals and their dreams. It's, it's so beautiful. It's quite an honor, isn't it? It's a big responsibility. Yeah. Because we can, we can, you know, if we're having a bad day or feeling, uh, you know, we we're, we're not always the gods and goddesses we we'd like to be because we're we're human too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you may have regrets. Oh, I shouldn't have said that that for that person. That didn't go over right for that person. Right. Uh, you know, but that's part of trying to be better. Is that you? Sometimes you, you you just have to you make mistakes and you go okay I'm not going to say that ever again or I'm only I'm going to be more careful with this type of personality, but I love also when when you're teaching the instinct part the 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 way you go the more experience you have the more you feel like the ideas they come to you 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 have a, I have a voice in my head that tells me what we're going to do next uh, it's it and it changes with each person so. Every person, it's a completely different experience for me. So it doesn't get boring. And that was another thing about the, the teachers who do the same t- exercises, that everyone who comes in gets the same thing. And I thought, oh, I'd shoot myself. That's if not going to work. <laughs> That's not my style. It's, to me, being a teacher is you're so, you have to be creative, intuitive, in a semi-dreamlike state at all times, really get into their mind uh, and, and nurture how to be nurturing without without deceiving. Mm. There's a lot of a lot of um, I've, I've had teachers who flattered, and they had a huge clientele because they made everyone feel like they were a star. But I thought, wow, that person has no business spending any money trying to be a singer, and they're being told that they're that they're great. And they're going to be this, you know, I'm like, whoa, that's so, so immoral. So I've always been caref- careful to not, uh, because also we have a lot of delusion in California. It's kind of, you know, it's the mm-hmm. land of dreams. So people have these big stars in their eyes about the, their inevitable future, whether they really got it or not. 
Right. I don't know. I don't think it, it's probably the same way. I think you guys are a little more hard boiled on the East Coast. Seems but, like um, that. Yeah. And so it's not always bad. I mean, these are lovely people to be around because they walk in happy, yeah. top of the world. They leave happy, and they're just sure that everything's going to work out. You know, it's like okay, I can't. Who's who? And who am I to say that something? can't happen for them in terms of career. Of course. It's not, it's not for me to say things happen for all kinds of reasons that are beyond all reasoning. And sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes ambition does make up for uh, or a lack of talent in some areas. And then I also feel like nobody has it all. Like you could have like a, like a Whitney Houston. She, she almost had it. All. She had the voice. She had the looks. She had the ability to perform. Uh, what else? She could act. But, but then mm-hmm. maybe someone doesn't have common sense. So that can be your downfall. Or there are people who have physical ailments. They have everything, but they have this degenerative disease or something. Or depression. Or addiction. I mean, just, you know, there's always something. that that Like for me, it's how difficult it is for me to memorize lyrics. I just go blank. I'm not nervous. I just go blank. And that might also be because I've been reading, 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 reading music for 60, almost 60 years. And so my brain has changed. It changed. It it over, it made one part of my brain become too big. And the other part, which most singers have, which is you hear a song a couple times, you know the song. For me, that, that part of my brain is atrophy. So, I agree. I'm the same way. I think I listen to way too much and nothing sticks because I'm trying to like take in all this repertoire. You know, like I want to make sure I'm familiar with all of it. I couldn't memorize anything. I'm, I'm sure I could if I really tried, but, you know, I think I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, good. I feel better. And I also <laughs> want people to feel better that you're not alone when you, when you doubt yourself. You're going to have good days and bad days. You'll have days when you're on top of the world and you think this was all my hard work, all the expense, all the dedication was worth it. And then there's other days where you think, wow, what a, what a, <laughs> I, should have, I should have been an accountant. Oh. But <laughs> that's just when you have a creative mind. A creative mind means that you can think all things at all. You know, you can go from one thought to another. We see things from multiple points of view. That's part of the creative mind. But if in your gut you want to see how far you can get, you want, whether it's in terms of skill, whether it's in terms of being a successful fill-in-the-blank, um, do it. Do it. Know that not every day is going to be a day where you're, you're happy. But there, when you feel like you've reached a certain level, you're going to be mostly happy. You're going to feel, wow, I did it. I am I can't believe I'm there. And that, that happened for me one time many years ago in my own voice where I, I actually could hear the ding of an oven in my head. And I got a vision of an oven with a brown, beautiful loaf of bread, and it was done. And <laughs> I heard the ding, and in my mind's eye, I went to the oven, and I looked at this perfect brown loaf, and I said, I did it. And I never, I never really looked back after that point. I knew I had achieved something that I'd been technically working for my whole, my whole adult life. And it was a feeling of satisfaction 
that cannot be described. So I, I encourage your listeners, our listeners today, to <laughs> you want that ding. You want to at least get that far where you think, I did it. I achieved my personal goals, and I'm really proud of myself. And boy, what, a, what an honor to be able to sing. What a gift. I am living the dream just by being able to sing well. How many people would die to sing well? And when you can sing well and you know it, oh, it gets you through a lot of other dark times. So, but I just wanted to leave off on an, on an, an encouraging, encouraging note. Um, nothing's perfect, but if you can have joy and beauty in your life because of your, your singing and how you connect emotionally and soothe the souls of, of the many listeners, you can heal people. You can, with your voice, you can save people from committing suicide. It's amazing how healing and important a social service singing beautifully is. And so don't give up until you give up. You keep doing it until you're ready. And until then, you pursue it like a dog with a bone. <laughs> I, could, I could not have said that any better, Lisa. That, that's incredible. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see what you keep doing, what's next for you. Oh, thank you. You're incredible. Thank you so much for doing this. I so appreciate the opportunity to ramble and, and share my, my thoughts with, with your listeners. And I, and I look forward to seeing you so we can be together and and talk more and solve more issues. And I'm going to look up xiphoid process and we are going to look up solar plexus yes. and we'll email each other with what we find. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh my gosh, you're awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have a great night. Thank you, Christy. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, guys, what'd you think? Uh, email me, message me with any thoughts, questions, you name it. Again, Facebook, the Happy Singer Podcast. We've got a page as well as a closed group. You can find it if you just type in the Happy Singer Discussion Group. So there you have it. Uh, email me, message me, tell me all the good things. If this helped you in any way or any of your students, uh, yeah, I'm repeating myself. Do you see what's happening? I still have a lot of work to get better at this, but I'm just going to be completely open with you. And yeah, that interview was done, yeah, in December. So I waited a while. I've been like kind of just curating content and letting it sit. And I've been trying to wait for the right time. Like, I have to write an intro song. I have to do this and that. And I was like, you know what? If I do not put this out here and soon, it's it, I'm going to forget about it. And I teach at least five days a week, sometimes more, and... At the end of the day, my brain is fried sometimes and I just, you know, don't have time for it. But I decided this is way too important. This is kind of my little dream that I want to do. I need to make the time. I need to make the time. So we'll have an intro song eventually. It'll be great. Can't wait. Um, anyway, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day or a great evening wherever you are. Thank you. Bye. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about the xiphoid process. So it's the cartilaginous section at the lower end of the sternum, which is not attached to any ribs and gradually ossifies during adulthood. Isn't that fun? So many things ossify as we get older, um, but you can find it if you're just pressing around. The reason we talk about the xiphoid process, the solar plexus, your um, upper 
belly magic spot, as Lisa calls it, whatever. You want to just make sure that things feel loose up there. So if you put your hands up there and you just do a light clearing of the throat, <clears throat> you'll feel that pop out a little bit. And you just want to make sure that that isn't too tight or that it's not pressed in. You want to make sure, check that. And Lisa talks about it. It's kind of around the bra line, ladies. Um, and you just got to kind of feel for it. And uh, my boss, Justin Stoney, he always talks about um, the pop-out test. Like if you put your hands around your body, just check and see what pops out. And this doesn't even have to be the xiphoid process. This can be um, your lower belly. This could be your rib cage. It could be your chest. It could be your face, your tongue. Um, you know, you can feel your tongue underneath your jaw. Um, all of that kind of stuff. A little pop. What pops out test? Um but in general, loosey-goosey is the way to go. All right, now I'm really letting you guys go. <laughs> Have a great day, and thank you so much. Bye.